0: Um, Is my clicker working here? There we go. I want to begin my remarks, first of all, by saying thank you to Pastor Tryon and to to Brother Brown uh, for considering me to teach on the subject of balancing work and ministry. I, I do consider this opportunity a very high honor, and I appreciate these men Uh, very much. I also give honor to our bishop, Bishop Hansen. I always look forward to Bishop Hansen's teaching and preaching, and we're going to get to enjoy him and Brother Brown just as soon as I get out of the way. And also, I want to give honor to all my fellow pastors and, and church ministry leaders. So I think the reason that Pastor Tryon asked me to teach on the subject of balancing work and ministry is probably because he perceives that I have a lot on my plate right now. And I really, truly, honestly do. I'm going to try to show you that in a minute. So, so yes, and thank you, Brother Brown. I am qualified to teach on this subject, but I would also like to say this, and I, I recognize that I am not the only pastor in this room or the only ministry leader in this room that is qualified just as equally as what I am. As a matter of fact, a recent statistic of the United Pentecostal Church International states that more than 70% of pastors in our fellowship work a full-time job in addition to pastoring the church that God has called them to pastor. And that statistic lines up with other American Christian organizations in our country as well. You can take a picture of that slide if you want to and check out the website later. It's not the only one where you can find this information. I I, I created that slide from their website, and I had to cut it off because my slide is only this big, and the website goes like way down to here, just listing all the concerns created for a pastor who works a full-time job and pastors a church. And I'm there. I'm experiencing all of that. (laughs) So please consider this scripture with me from the King James Version, first of all. It says, this is Peter in chapter 3, verse 17. <coughs> Yet therefore, beloved, seeing that these things, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also be in led away with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever forever. Amen. Looking again at verse number 17, please notice the words very closely, beware lest ye also fall from your own steadfastness. I looked up each of those words in the original Greek language to to fully grasp and understand their true meaning, and please do check me out on this. I find that the CEV translation is, gives us the meaning of Peter's words most accurately because what Peter is telling us is that regardless of what the statistics are telling you on January the 11th, 2020, the word of God is still speaking saying, Pastor, don't lose your balance. Ministry leader, don't lose your balance. I'm going to give you a crazy illustration showing you how difficult this can be to work full-time and pastor a church full-time, a church that's growing, and and um, I want to make sure I look at my notes here because I, I, I wrote it down the way I want to describe it to you. I need Brother McDonald, there he is, 1st. Just not not right now, but when I call you in a second, be ready with first Timothy three and verse five, and perhaps some of you have seen this illustration before um, there 's a website that tells you about this illustration, but i 'm going to tweak it. I, I heard this is in one of david norris 's books, and i 'm going to tweak it i 'm going to do it very differently because this is my teaching session, and I can do it the way I want to do it but But please imagine with me this represents one day in my life or this represents this bowl this salad bowl represents one day in your life and these tennis balls that are filling this bowl some of them are work-related priorities some of them are church-related priorities and just as important as anything else, some of these tennis balls, they they represent what is going on in your family. Why, Brother McDonald, would you read First Timothy 3 and 5? If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? If a man doesn't know what's going on in his family, he he probably doesn't know what's going on in his church and maybe... He shouldn't be pastoring. And, and for just for example, I, the point there is family is very important. And for example, my daughter is calling me, and she's on the telephone because she needs her father. And um, she needs my help urgently. And her father is also a pastor, and there's a crisis at the church, and I'm embarrassed to even tell you what it is, because I thought that saint had the Holy Ghost, but they just did something really, 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 really bad, and they need you right now. This actually happened to me three days ago. Both parties need me at the same exact time, and while my daughter is calling me for the third time on my cell phone, I tell this not-so-spiritual person that I have to get off the phone now, and I'm talking to my daughter because family's important. It ought to be a priority. And, and, and my work phone starts ringing while I'm talking to my daughter. I'm not making You can't make this stuff up. And my boss doesn't need it tomorrow. He needs it within the next few minutes. And aren't I just blessed to be working from home? My life is just a bowl of cherries or tennis balls. This was Wednesday. I forgot to put it in my notes, but the evangelist is coming over. Any minute now, he just texted me and said he was going to be there for Wednesday night service, and, um, you know, we're also in a building program right now in Destiny Church. I'm just, I'm going to be very, very transparent, uh, and the Union Bank of Nevada, I, t- I spent probably 40 hours or more filling out all the application requirements, going back and forth with uh, Delano Shirley, Karen Goodnight, and Edmund Mack, and me, and, the, and Union Bank of Nevada, and, uh, and they're telling me that they actually might give me a loan for $1.7 million, which is what I need, praise God, thank God for them, because other banks, I won't mention who, but some of them wouldn't give me it, four, three other banks wouldn't give me the loan that I need, they won't only want to give me $1.1 million, and I, I told one bank, I said, I don't want your loan. What I'm trying to say is I'm spending a lot and a lot of time. I'm getting off of my notes here. But Union Bank calls me on Wednesday while I'm talking to my daughter and while I'm doing this stuff for my boss. And they tell me they need a list of everybody in our church who's given two hundred dollars or more for the last three years. Okay, so and, and you know, I want to see that building built. So I better take care of this priority. And, and I'm, I'm trying to take care of all of these priorities. And I would have to do a sermon prep because Brother Tryon asked me to teach on work, life, and balance. <laughs> and th- this one's just not going to fit. So what I'll do, Brother Tryon, is I'll, I'll make your priorities one of these and, and one of these other ones just isn't going to fit into my day. And in addition to that, a customer calls me up while the evangelist is ringing the doorbell of my house. And he says, you know, that million dollar P.O. that I want to give you, I can't give it to you till your president signs the terms and the conditions. And now I got to take care of that and the evangelist is here. And like I just started to preach, I believe God's word and I preach and I teach that family unit is so important, so I never want to neglect my wife. I love my wife so much. And that puppy that she's always wanted for Christmas, I went and bought her that puppy. And he's downstairs in my office with me. All of these priorities, you see how my day is filled up? As you can see, I have more priorities in my life than what I have the light of day. I can't even fit all of them in there. How many pastors, ministry leaders, how many of you you your day your life looks like this salad bowl? Okay. How are we going to balance this out? I mean, how how many of you think we can't fit any more stuff in this bowl? Well, guess what? There's golf balls. These golf balls represent action items as well for work, church, and family. They need attention. For example, there's a wonderful lady in our church, a tithe-paying, faithful lady. She's brought her elderly aunt to church uh, yeah, maybe you know a dozen times or so, and and her aunt, her elderly aunt, just passed away, and and the funeral was last night. So this becomes a priority because. Because I love Sister Hope, and I, I, you know, I'm her pastor, so I got to stop working on the sermon prep for just a little bit, and I got to fit that priority into my life. And then there's, you you get the idea what I'm talking about. I can actually fit some of these golf balls in here, but, um, you know, and then my wife needs the air on her tires changed, and and I'm not going to be able to fit all of these golf balls, which represent action items and priorities. Uh, into here but um, you get the idea just when you think you can't fit more priorities into your life you still got more things that you gotta balance you can't make this stuff up this is reality and what I'm trying to tell you with the golf balls is two things and then I got more because in addition to these priorities filling up your day and you think you can't fit anything more into your day guess what you have to because the golf balls can, in fact, still fit in there. They'll just go in there. And number two, if you don't fit these golf balls in and take care of some of those priorities, they're gonna grow up into tennis ball size priorities. Does that make sense? And you gotta figure out how to balance all this. Now, how many of you are feeling stressed out right now? Don't worry, because I am going to bring hope into this sermon in just a moment from God's word, but, but please let me continue to give you more stress because this is now becoming fun for me. It's like psychotherapy and I need to vent because just when you think you can't fit anything else into your life, you got, you got these rocks and, and I don't want to make a mess. So I'm going to, I'm just going to mellow out a little bit, but these These rocks represent some things that the devil throws at you. And they're going into your life as well, into your day and messing up your... Some of these rocks are going to get stuck in your shoe and they're going to rub against your foot and irritate you while you're trying to walk in faith. For example, I'm just going to say it and I'm going to be transparent transparent and I don't know what you all are going to think of me. But for example, if you're doing something successful sooner or later, somebody's going to throw a stone at you. I learned about that at work. I've never learned about that at church because in the church we never attack one another. But I have had brothers tell me that I'm not living by faith because I work a full-time job, and if I had more faith, just quit my job and let God take care of it. I've had brothers tell me that. And this is that little stone that, that they're putting in there, you know. And once again, if you don't take care and balance these little things that manage a way to interrupt your day, it's going to grow into something bigger and bigger and bigger. I want you to think about this. The same guy who preached on the day of Pentecost is the same guy who admonishes Christians everywhere just before his death right around 67 or 68 B.C. Peter said, Beware, lest you fall from your steadfastness. Don't lose your balance. Can you click that ahead? It's not working anymore. And that is still good advice for the year 2020. When I I started to pray... Uh, about what to share with everybody today. I almost retitled this, Get a Life. (laughs) Because statistics, seriously, look at that website I showed you. Statistics say that most preachers, pastors, don't have a life. And after years and years of having no life, it eats at you like cancer. A couple years back, after not taking vacation for several years, my wife came to me and she said, sweetheart, she said, I just want to go somewhere with you, anywhere with you other than church, and I want you to leave your work at home. She said, let's go somewhere where your job's not calling you. She said, we need to step away for just one week and let the church be the church, because if the church can't survive without us, then we're not managing and balancing our time according to God's plan, and it's going to fall apart anyway. I hate to admit this, but would you believe I responded to my wife telling her that, honey, it's just not the right timing right now. We can't step away from everything. And, and my wife, she's a walking Bible, and, and, and she does be, my better half in her wisdom replied. She said, sweetheart. You have to balance your life. I'll never forget it. She looked me in the eye and she said, just because I'm asking you to step away from the church for just one week and spend time with me, that doesn't mean you don't love the church. You have to have balance in your life. (coughs) I've been pastoring. How did we get there already? I've been pastoring for 12 years now, and what I've learned is you can be eaten up with your calling and you don't have a life. And your wife and kids don't have a life because you, dad, or you, leader, don't have a life. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, let's take a break. There it is in the message translation. In the New Living Translation, it says, Jesus said that because there were so many people coming and going, they didn't even have time to eat. In some measure, those, at that point in time, their lives looked like that. This bowl, and Jesus said, let's take a break. And someone said, well, Pastor Harvey, or sorry, Brother Harvey, h- how's this supposed to work? Are you telling me that with all these things piled up on my plate, the best way to handle this is to just walk away, get away, and do nothing? Well, I'm telling you that no matter how busy you are, if you don't get away from it at least 14% of the time and rest and do nothing, if you don't rest at least that much, everything that you have to do and do do will not be done well. Let me say it like this. If you're a preacher and you want to preach a rotten sermon, just keep on overworking it. And keep on stressing over it and putting all of that stuff that's in your life into the sermon. And you'll never move your church into the realm that God wants you to move into. But God hath not given me a spirit of fear, but one of power and one of love and one of a sound mind. And when I put sound mind thoughts into a sermon, it comes out far better than if I put stressed out thoughts into a sermon and anxious thoughts into a sermon. Brother Harvey, are you telling me that if I spend 14% of the time that I have to do something about it, but instead doing nothing 14% of the time, I'll accomplish more? Yes, I am telling you that. Well, how'd you come up with that 14% number? I did the math on commandment number four. How many of you know what commandment number four is? Of course you don't know, because that's the one preachers break. It says six days you shall work, and one day you shall rest. That one day equals 14%. And if your life looks like this bowl, and if you're not taking one day per week, and if, or if you're not frequently taking a week off with your wife and family and getting away from it all, then the quality of your ministry is going to suffer, and it's not going to go anywhere. One of, the, one of the best teachings I ever read on this is Joe Lieberman's a Jewish man, and he wrote a book about the Sabbath, and I read that book, and I think it was from his book. It's one owner worked his donkey seven days a week and made money seven days a week. Another owner worked his donkey six days a week and rested him on the seventh day, so he made less money each week. But the man who worked his donkey seven days a week without any rest His donkey died, and that that man ended up with nothing. But the wise owner's donkey, who obtained rest 14% of the time, lasted for years, bringing him wealth many times over what the other man did. This is like the law of, I'm in a commandment right now, right here. And this is like the law of first fruits. It's like the law of tithing. You either believe it or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to remain under the curse that Adam put us under. Jesus said, take a break. The Bible says that the length of our days is 70 years or 80 years. He says that in Psalms chapter 90 and verse 10. If you're blessed to live 70 or 80 years, you'll typically spend an average of 24 years sleeping, 20 years working, 10 years in church, 7 years eating, 6 years traveling, Four years dealing with sickness and two years getting dressed. (laughs) uh, Danish philosopher, and he's a theologian and religious author, Sorian Kekergaard said, Can you advance my slide, please? He said, The press of busyness is like a charm. Seeking to lay hold of ever younger victims so that we are scarcely allowed time for God to develop in us Christian character. It's a mistake to think, does your life look like this? It's a mistake to think that you can just rush through life and it'll buy you more time. It doesn't. Apart from keeping your adrenaline pumping and perhaps making you feel and look important. Busyness can be the enemy of your soul, and it can rob you of spiritual growth by preventing you from reflecting and examining your heart. Perhaps it's more wise to stop thinking about the number of things that you can manage to get done every day and think more about the quality of your life's products. What I'm trying to say is you can be busy, yet not balanced. Balanced. Notice how many times in the New Testament it says that Jesus withdrew himself away from the demands of it all, away from that bowl right there, and he came back balanced with the weight of the world upon him. The psalmist said in 23 verse 2, he maketh me to lie down. This is um, these these next two verses is something I think every preacher ought to memorize. I'm showing it to you in the amplified version, but it says casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully watch to, to, to say that another way. Look at this bowl. That scripture says, you walk away from it. You say, forget it, God. It is all yours. I'm forgetting it. Oh, come on now. Some of you need to learn how to do that, I think. I just felt something right there. Can you do that? Because if you can't, you're out of balance. You need to walk away from it from time to time and say, God, it belongs to you. Do you have scripture for that, Brother Harvey? Yes, I do. Look at the very next verse. If you'll advance it for me. It says in the Amplified, be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times for that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion, roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. If I understand that scripture correctly, if I don't balance this bowl, it'll leave the door open for Satan to attack. How so? It's like this, too much of anything... Even a good thing is a problem. For example, work is good. The commandment says, Six days you shall work. Work is good, but too much of it causes stress, which can result in sickness, resentment, depression, and the breakdown of your relationships. Food is good, but too much of it can lead to serious health problems. It's good to be organized. But if you become a perfectionist, it can drive yourself and everyone else around you crazy. I'm talking about balance. Any area of your life that gets out of balance, work and ministry and family, any area of your life that gets out of balance will rob you of the joy that God wants you to have. Maintaining a balanced life is one of the biggest challenges you'll ever face. Philippians 4 and 5, advance the slide, please. Philippians 4 and 5 says, Let your balanced life be known unto all men. If you're a highly driven personality, notice the word moderation and and check me out on this. Strong's Greek number 1933, it's translated from the Greek word epiakes. It means the man of experience and a lot of balanced temperament. It means the reasonable man who stays within the limits of what is moderate, orderly, and balanced. It literally means don't go to extremes. To the pastor, it means excel in your ministry, but don't neglect your family. To the parent, it means don't just make a living, but enjoy the people that you're making a living for. To the child of God, Brother Jim Wiltshire, it always means to look your personal best, but don't be obsessed with your looks. Because your good looks is not the true measure of your worth as a person. I love Brother Jim. I'm just picking on him. He's good looking and I'm jealous of him. That's why I said that. <coughs> to him who much is given, much is required. And I, I, I prayed over this from many months ago brother tron and and i believe god is getting ready to balance the weight of it all in some of your lives how many's ever been on a on an airplane and and before you take off they adjust the seating of passengers they, especially on the smaller airplanes you know why they're balancing the weight every pilot knows that periodically your plane needs to be they call it trimmed or Or balanced in flight, because after flying through storms, it gets knocked out of alignment and things need to be adjusted. And the same thing happens in this spiritual journey that we call life. The storms of life can knock you out of alignment. Uh, Unexpected weather conditions like sickness or depression, unemployment, divorce, disappointment, death can force you to change direction and strategy. And the first thing you have to admit to yourself, and I'm going to uh, admit it to you, the first thing you have to admit to yourself, the weight of it all, the balancing act, is too much for one person. I, this morning, I can juggle two balls with one hand, but not very well, so I'm not going to do it very long. I can juggle three tennis balls with two hands, but I can't do four like the guys at Cirque du Soleil. It's too much for one person. It just is. I know that you want to maintain control and you want quality control, and so do I. And God has given you and me vision, and you want to make sure that that vision gets implemented. But please let me tell you something. You have got to distribute the weight, control the vision, of your church, but distribute the weight. It's very, very important that we leaders are able to do that, because if we don't do that effectively, we're not going to be able to move into the realm that God wants to take our church into. Balancing work, church and family means you have to distribute the weight. Shocker. God didn't call you to know everything. Good leadership works itself out of a job. Well, what was wrong with that? Come on, somebody. That's pretty good stuff. Now, now, if, now, let's balance this. If you put people into positions and then you have to run everything that they do, you either have the wrong person in that position or you are territorial and you need to step back. <coughs> I know pastors, some pastors are stressed out because they're doing the jobs of 10 people in their church. And the question is, is it because you can't let go of it and you have to micromanage everything? Or do you have the wrong person in the position? Ultimately, you've got to figure that out because ultimately your church will take on the size of your ability to balance all those tennis balls and golf balls and manage the rocks that get thrown at you. And if you can't figure it out, how to put some substantial support underneath you, eventually your ministry is going to decrease equal to the level of support that you have or don't have. If you could see where Jesus brought destiny from to where we are today, I say this humbly, I, I, it's, it, it might be kind of like a personal illustration, I don't know, but, but I, I give all glory to to God, all oh, glory to God. Last Sunday, if you could see when I first started pastoring in Connecticut with with less than twenty people on Sunday morning, sometimes only thirteen in a big, huge, golden chapel that we were that was like a prison house for us. If you could see where Jesus brought us from to where we are today, we had 119 people in church last Sunday. To God be the glory. But do you want but do you want to know I, I say that humbly, I'm not to God be the glory. Do you want to know why Destiny Church is growing? Because I can't pastor the church by myself. And I, how can I manage all that? I can't do it. If you think I'm going to have some magical silver bullet solution to, to balance all, I, I don't. I have to have help. My wife, she's actually speaking in another church this morning, but, but my wife and Brother Goodnight and Brother Brad, I, I shouldn't name names because there are several of my church members here today, and, and, and I, I, I appreciate every one of them. I have to have help. I admit it. I need help, and I'm not insecure about it. I cannot do this by myself. I'll, I'll give you a personal illustration when I close, but I cannot satisfy everybody. I cannot be there for everybody. I can't do that. You have to soon recognize that you are a limited resource but balance the weight of that thought. How? You identify those who will share. I got to say something here, and this came to me, and, and this is Holy Ghost talking right now. You have to you have to identify those who will share the weight of glory and not the glamour of glory. I've been pastoring, I think, 12 years in Connecticut, and this is something Pastor King never taught me. I had to learn this through the school of hard knocks, it wasn't so bad, but you, you, you have to identify those who share the weight of glory, not the glamour of glory. You can always find somebody who wants to share the glamour. But you don't need glamour seekers. You need workers. I read the book of Job. I I. I had that thought come to me this morning actually, I squeezed this in here Uh, I preached on this uh, and I I got a wonderful sermon that I took time Uh, Job, Job, his description of horses are wonderful. God is not looking for a show horse he is looking for a war horse the message is this pastor, church leader, you are a limited resource so balance your ministry with a work horse and not a show horse Peter said, be well balanced, casting all your cares upon him. That means a balanced life doesn't worry about all these rocks that, that still find a way to end up in the bowl of your life. I, I understand this. People will never be satisfied. The people, I'm talking about the people you pastor. I'm being way too real. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if your church is going to give myself away, if your church is going to grow, you're going to make people mad. And it's not I'm talking about balancing here, and it's not because you did anything wrong. But if you're preaching the word of God effectively, people are going to get under conviction from time to time. And a lot of people will pray through, but some people won't pray through and they'll get mad at you. Their real problem is with God. It's not with you. And I said that to say this. You can't keep everybody happy, which means I have to get comfortable with the stones. I have to get comfortable with the criticisms. There's always going to be somebody talking about what you didn't do and and how you uh, you didn't decide that right. And you didn't see this and you should have done that. Look how they talked about Jesus. Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And he was Jesus. Look at it this way. This I truly look at it this way. When people are talking about you, it's a it's a sign that you're doing something great for the glory of God and making progress. If you're pastoring a church and nobody's talking bad about you, I wonder how effective your ministry really is. <coughs> Don't let that stone throw you off balance. Thank God they're talking about you. Look at it this way. You, you didn't have to pay for the free advertisement that they're giving you. <laughs> Moses soon discovered that he couldn't hear every case. Let me go through this, and then I want to give you. Uh, oh, it's already there. Are you doing this? Or are you driving or me? I'll go through this, and then I'll close with a personal illustration. It says. It says. What are you do what you're doing, Jethro says this to Moses, what you're doing is not good, Moses' father in law said to him. Click one time. Don't go to the next slide. Click one time. Back up. Click once. There's the verse eighteen that goes right in there. I'm getting stressed. (laughs) Just kidding. No, I'm sorry. You're doing gr- it. I love you, man. I'm, I'm really not getting stressed. I'm actually enjoying myself. <laughs> what you're doing is not good. Moses father in law said to him, you will learn. Certainly you will certainly wear out both yourself and the and your church. These people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. And then he says, you can't do this alone. Here's what came to me. I'm gonna go through up to verse 23, but I'm gonna go through it slowly. There's a danger when a leader majors on minor things. The message here, pastor, reserve your strength for the difficult cases of leadership. Stop majoring on minor issues. Some stuff you have to just leave it alone. I can't fix everything. You can't straighten out everything, and you can't respond to everything. Save your strength for the major issues. I don't respond to every critic. I don't chase down every rumor. Sometimes I think, and this is just me, I know I'm not the same as everybody, but sometimes I think it's wise to just give them enough rope and let them hang themselves. Let them talk. It's dangerous to major on the minor because when you major on uh, when major things happen, if you're majoring on the minor and major things happen, you don't have enough strength and you don't have enough fortitude to deal with all of it. The workload is too heavy. You can't do it all alone. And then the next verse says, advance, bring their cases, their their disputes to God. Moses, Jethro said, stop trying to be like Judge Judy. Judge Judy only judges to be seen on TV more than what she judges to be righteous. Her real motivation is to be seen on TV and keep Hollywood happy, and she uses all these petty little minor squabbles that people have to increase her ratings. My question is, how are you going to have an anointing when you're filled up with all that kind of contamination and filth all those minor little dumb things, and then you got to get up and preach, and you got to pray some, cast some sickness out of somebody over here, and cast some demon out of somebody over here. How are you going to have the power to rebuke it if you've been dealing with too many carnal things? Bring their disputes to God. Inst- where was that? Instruct them about the statutes and laws. And teach them the way, they, the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from them people, from all the people, able men. Select from all the people, able men. Select from all the people, able men. Men who fear God. Men and women who are trustworthy, who hate dishonest gain. They don't have an agenda. They're not trying to get on top by usurping your authority. I'm talking to pastors. This is what came to me that if you can do that, this will balance out this, this bowl right here and it'll take a lot of things out of the bowl and it'll start to look more manageable because some people they're not, they're not, they're. They're not looking for something for, uh, for themselves. They're, that's the kind of person you want. They're not trying to, to use you to launch their own ministry. Uh, they're, they're not trying to build up a name for themselves. Jethro said, Moses, don't use somebody who wants dishonest gain. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. I took it out of my notes, actually, but I've got... I've got people who come to my church and they don't want to pay tithes, but they want to be on the platform. All right. I, I want to speak plainly and candidly to my pastor friends that are here today. God made you the pastor, and I believe that you should stop working with people who don't want to see your ministry blessed. Stop working with people who don't want to bless your ministry. Find people that are good. Appoint them as officials over over hundreds and and fifties and tens and thousands. Jethro said all of this to Moses when his life looked like this bowl. His family, his work, his, his church life balance, it looked just like this bowl here. Have them serve, he said, as judges for all the people's. They should judge the people at all times and then they can bring you every important case, but judge every minor, they can judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load. And then the next slide, if you do this as God commands so to do it, you'll be able to balance the weight and manage the bowl that represents your life with all the priorities and the challenge and and all these people Your church members, they're going to go home satisfied with their pastor. They're going to feel safe with their pastor. I feel to tell somebody this also. Pastor, God is getting ready to send you some help. Let's balance it. Some of it's going to be from people that you've never seen them before in your life, but here they are. But also, there are some that are right amongst you in your church house, you just haven't identified them yet. I'm speaking from experience in my last 10, 12 years of ministry here in Connecticut. From God's word, the refiner of silver, the maker of gold, it, it's, it's the dross that comes to the top first. And, and the people who come at you first because they see your church is growing and they see your ministry is growing and they demand, I want to be used. Anybody that makes a demand like that, skim them off the top because the impurities come up first. But once you move the impurities out of the way, you'll find that gold was behind them. I've got people in my church and I know that they're gold. And I said that to say this, once that happens, everything reflected in this bowl of your life comes into order and progress comes faster and faster and the bowl of your life's priorities becomes more and more manageable. Be prepared to spend a little time balancing that act developing that person and during the waiting process some people will get mad and leave and move and do other let them go because you can't build off the dross anyway get it off the top last slide and I want to I have no notes for this but I want to give you just kind of a, a personal thing here I uh, The message translation says it. Paul said, I don't consider myself an expert in any of this, in the message translation. And then he says, but one thing I do. And I'm kind of thinking about the commandment number four, resting. And and I want to say this. My life is different than your life. My priorities are going to be different than your priorities. Somebody asked me the other day how to merge churches and it's it's i'm not an expert in that just because i 've done it one time it, It's something that has to be a case by case basis, and your church is different than my church, and you're a different person than I am, so my priorities are going to be different than your priorities and i'm not negating any of your priorities but okay, so just some of these. Tennis balls that represent major priorities. Obviously, I want to say this again very strongly. One of them is family. My wife, my daughters, and now the dog. <laughs> and then, it's like I said, and I, I don't know, Brother Tron, if you were expecting me to just show everybody how to do this, this is what I do. and And somebody... Brother Edmund Mack, he's one of our board members of our church, very instrumental in the church move. He he came to me a couple of times. He's come to me. He's worried about me being burnt out because he sees that. And I honestly haven't been. Here's why. And some of my saints might know this, and some of you might even know it, because if you text me, I may not get back to you for a week because I walk away from it. And one of these priorities in my life is the Word of God. I love the Word of God. You know what I love to do on a Saturday? Now, today's a pretty fun day for me. Thank you, Brother Tryon, Brother Brown. But you know what I love? I love to do it on a Saturday. I get up early. I go down to my office. I crack open Logos Bible study notes. And I'll spend eight 10, sometimes 15 hours cranking out a humdinger service. You ask the people. We have good church every Sunday. And I leave all that and I focus on that sermon. And I focus on the Word of God. I read, I've read probably 20 religious books this past year in 2019. I've read my Bible through every year, and and you might look at my life and say, I'm too busy for this. I've read my Bible through every year for at least 15 years, probably closer to 20 years, front to back, Genesis to Revelation. I love the word of God, and I will leave all of that and get my nose into the book, and I will get into the word of God. And you know what happens? You know what happens is I might preach a message and one of these saints finds the answer to their problem, so that priority gets removed. Because I've gotten, I've gotten my priorities right. Now, I'm just telling you what works for me, and I, I thought about this. I thought about this three or four months ago when you first asked me, and this is the first thought that came to my mind, and I'm closing with this. And then another one of these priorities that is very, very important for me, very important for me, is my prayer life. Okay, family's important, the word of God's important, and for me, my prayer life's important. My prayer life combined with the word of God, watch this. Elijah, he ran faster than a chariot of uh, well-fed horses, more than 40 miles. He had supernatural power for 40, 40 miles, running faster than horses. Some of you don't look very amazed by that. I I find that to be amazing. I I thought about running one mile the other day for my health, and I sat down until the feeling passed. (laughs) Elijah ran for 40 miles faster than horses. In my prayer life, you know what I'm asking God for 2020? And this new thought came to me, and and. I'm leading our church through prayer and fasting this month. You know what thought came to me? I've got, God, I've got all this, this priority, my job. My, I did so well last, last year that they increased my budget at work. That's not a good thing. <laughs> I've got more, more, more action items now. You know what I'm asking God through prayer and fasting? God, give me the supernatural strength that you gave Elijah. God, I need you can make fun of me for praying this way if you want to. I don't care. God, I need things to fall into my lap that I just don't deserve it. I I need that that sales account to just happen for me, even though I don't even work very hard for it. God, just give it to me because I'm trying to grow the church. I'm trying to advance the kingdom of God in Bloomfield. God, I need things to fall in place for me. And I'm praying and I'm having supernatural power with God and things are happening in the supernatural natural realm. Let's all stand, please. That's how you balance it. Oh, they took the scripture down. Paul said, the one thing I do, what do you do well? What priority, what action item do you do well? Find that one thing, the prayer life. The one thing, the word of God. Or whatever it is for you, the one thing, you don't try to do everything that you can't do well. And trust God. Walk away 14% of the time at least and trust God and he will do the rest. God bless you, Brother Brown. Please come. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord and give him praise.